to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of RR and Secretary of State for Work and Pensions. The citation for this case, 2019 UKSC 52. And this case that we're looking at this week is actually a follow-up to a case that we covered in this podcast three years ago called The Crown on the Application of Carmichael and Rourke and the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions. The citation for that case was 2016 UKSC 58, and if you want to get more context for this episode, then do go back and have a listen, although I will try and also give a brief summary here. Those proceedings were all about something known colloquially as the bedroom tax that meant a person would receive less housing benefits if their council house had one or more spare bedrooms. One of the main issues with this was that the reduction disproportionately affected those with disabilities because they often needed extra room for medical equipment, etc. That was the subject of the Carmichael case, and the Supreme Court came to the conclusion that where there is a transparent medical need for a spare bedroom, then the bedroom tax represented unjustified discrimination on the grounds of disability under Article 14 of the European Convention on Human Rights. In response to this decision by the Supreme Court, the government amended the relevant legislation accordingly in 2017, but unfortunately this was not given retrospective effect, so the question became what local authorities and tribunals should do in the period between the decision in Carmichael and the date on which the amendment to the regulations actually came into force. On the one hand, the law was the same as it ever was, but On the other hand, the highest court in the land had made it very clear that same law was in direct contradiction to human rights law. That was the subject of this present case before us today, alongside an additional question about whether reductions should have been made to discretionary housing payments. The actual facts of RR's case are not therefore actually that important, but a little bit of background might be of interest and offer a human face behind proceedings as well. RR is not actually disabled himself, but lives with his disabled partner in social housing, where he claims housing benefit. Whereas a couple might ordinarily be expected to require only one bedroom, RR and his girlfriend actually have two bedrooms because of her disabilities and the space that her medical equipment requires in the home. Back in 2013, their housing benefit was reduced in accordance with the bedroom tax regulations and RR launched an appeal in the first tier tribunal. There it was found that he had indeed suffered from unjustified discrimination and so the legislation should be interpreted in such a way so that it does not apply to him. The basis for such an interpretation has grounding in section 3 of the Human Rights Act 1998 which states that secondary legislation should be read so as to give effect to the rights found in the convention. The government appealed the case to the upper tribunal at the same time that the party to the original 2016 case, Mr Carmichael, was defending a similar appeal. RR's case was stayed while Carmichael's went ahead. The upper tribunal came to the conclusion that the interpretation offered by the first tier tribunal was too much of a stretch for section 3, but it did still find in favour of Carmichael on the basis of Section 6, Subsection 1 of the Human Rights Act, which states that it is unlawful for any public authority to act in a way which is incompatible with a convention right. The Court of Appeal then disagreed and found in favour of the government. 
It was at this point that RR's case came back to life as the stay on the case was lifted and a leapfrog appeal was made to the Supreme Court where we pick it up. And the key to understanding this case is an awareness of the relationship that exists between primary and secondary legislation. After the judgement was handed down in the original Cartmichael case, the dilemma for tribunals as well as for local authorities was whether that decision should take precedence over the actual legislation. Disapplying the law might seem like a step too far as it appears on the surface to be defying the will of Parliament. However, that isn't really the case because if they did not disapply that bit of the law, then they would be acting incompatibly with the rights found under the Convention. Those rights are enshrined as part of the Human Rights Act 1998, and we know that primary legislation takes precedence over secondary legislation, such as the regulations that govern the bedroom tax. That act is actually a perfect example of how this distinction is drawn, because we can look at both Section 6, that requires public authorities to act in a way that is compatible, as well as Section 3, that requires all legislation to be interpreted, in a way that lines up with convention rights. It is true that this has its limitations, but that doesn't change the fact that secondary legislation that breaches the convention should be disregarded when doing so does not impact on the overarching statutory scheme. Omitting the discriminatory provision in the housing benefit regulations does not fundamentally change the scheme overall, and so public authorities must restore the full amount else they would be in breach of Section 6 of the Human Rights Act. Thus, in the end, the Supreme Court agreed with the upper tribunal and found in favour of RR in this case. That decision is not especially surprising, it doesn't add much new to our understanding of human rights law, and doesn't look that dissimilar from the sort of problem question that an undergrad student might get in an exam. All of that begs two related questions. Firstly, what was the government thinking when it decided to waste taxpayers' money pursuing this case all the way to the Supreme Court? And what was the Court of Appeal thinking when it found in favour of the government? The answer in the reported decision is not very satisfactory, and doesn't go much further beyond the argument that the tribunal should not have come up with its own solution to the problem, and that the proper remedy lay in a claim for damages under Section 8 of the Human Rights Act. Unfortunately, that just seems to completely ignore the special role that public authorities play in the context of human rights legislation. We have seen throughout this case that failing to disapply the relevant provision results in a breach of convention rights, something that clearly cannot be tolerated. Perhaps it is slightly easier to justify the government attempting to defend its own position, but even then it is picking a legal battle with some of the most vulnerable people in our society, over a case which it has already lost on a previous occasion. There is also a broader point to be made about how that money could have been better spent. One of the central problems with the bedroom tax is that there is simply a lack of social housing across the country. So even if a person does genuinely have a spare room, it is often the case that an option to downsize doesn't even exist anyway. Applying the bedroom tax in the middle of a housing crisis would be like raising motor vehicle tax if all of the roads were falling apart. Until the core issue is resolved, there is no value in trying to make savings on the margins. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provides the theme music. Remember, we also have a Facebook group for UK Law Weekly where I'll post all of the new episodes as soon as they go up, 
and we try and encourage a bit of discussion around various legal topics and issues there. So do join us on facebook.com and search for UK Law Weekly. It's one of the groups and I'll let you in as soon as you apply. I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!